Welcome to the Conscious Diva podcast. Thank you for listening and participating in our Facebook live event today. I'm Tatiana Wright and joining me is my friend and fellow yogi, Bianca Alexander. Bianca is an Emmy Award winning journalist and the host of Conscious Living TV. She's a part of Ebony Magazine's Power 100, a certified yoga instructor, second degree Reiki master, a devotee of Paramahansa Yogananda and currently legal counsel for The Kelly Clarkson Show. Welcome Bianca and thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. So honored to be here. Our topic for discussion is learning how to embrace our shadow and illuminate hidden thoughts, feelings, and ideas that we collectively hold about race to free ourselves and others and bring much needed healing to our ancestors, descendants, and a world in crisis. Before we begin, I'd like to set an intention for our conversation. My intention is to create a safe space in which to explore, grieve, forgive, and heal. I call upon the support of our loving, wise, and well ancestors, ancestors before the trouble we are all experiencing today. I ask you to support this conversation with Bianca Alexander with love. Thank you. This was serendipitous that today happened to be June 19th for our conversation. And as you asked me when we first both discovered it was you know, Juneteenth on June 19th today, um, you asked me, did I know what it was? And I said, yes, but I had admitted to you that I only this year only earlier this year had taken the time to research it because it had popped up on my calendar on everyone's calendar and I, I never took the time to explore what it meant um, so I would love for you to just share a little bit about what that means the significance of this day June 19th yes thank you thank you so honored to be here thank you for having me um, let me just first apologize I'm having serious asthma the past few weeks like George Floyd I felt I can't breathe and I don't know as an empath, I've sort of taken that pain body on so that I'm forced to dive deeper into my own breathing as a, a black person in America, a black woman. So I'm just offering that disclaimer if I sound breathless, it's because I am. <laughs> Juneteenth, um, so it's an auspicious day for us to be having this conversation about healing America's racial pain body because in 1865 in Galveston, Texas, Juneteenth, June 19th, was the day that slaves who had actually legally been freed two years prior by the Emancipation Proclamation discovered that for two years, their white owners, owners right, um, were too privileged to give up the benefits of free labor to actually abide by the law and tell them that they were in fact free. So it was on Juneteenth that they surreptitiously discovered that they had been free for two years. And hey, it was two years later, but just imagine if you've been a slave for 400 years, you find out you're free, you don't care if the message came two years prior, you're just happy you're free. So Amazing. it was a celebration of liberation mm. um, that today many African-Americans celebrate as a symbol of not just the outer freedom, but the inner freedom as, I think, an opportunity for pride and celebration of cultural heritage of being an African-American, which is a very unique subgroup, you know, of Black in the African diaspora. Being African-American, being the descendant of slaves here in America, in the American colonialism, in the American slave trade, it's a very unique, very specific 
cultural experience um, and a unique racial pain body, much of which we're seeing illuminated in the positive now that African-American music and culture and sports is some of the most celebrated in the world, in part because of the pain body that we had to overcome and surpass. Mm, so. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And so thank happy Juneteenth. Yeah, beautiful. Happy Juneteenth to you. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. And I just want to add that um, it's so important that we're educated on, on this topic because I know from having two children at schools here, one in elementary and one in high school, that they do not teach what Juneteenth means. And I'm really kind of shocked at that. Not kind of, I am extremely shocked. And I know this is true because I asked my children themselves, did you guys learn about Juneteenth? Have you ever heard Juneteenth? I have a son that's going into 11th grade and a daughter going into sixth. And both of them said no. So I really wanted to hear it from you. And thank you so much for so eloquently and beautifully letting everybody <laughs> know what, the, what it means. Mm -hmm. and, and that leads me to you know, how this came up, our conversation uh, around start the conversation, right? You had posted this great video that um, where you work on the Kelly Clarkson production uh, on the show had asked you to-, to One of my jobs, right? <laughs> exactly, one of your jobs. And, uh, and I'll ask you more about your, your, you know, uh, how you brought everything together because you have yes. a great story of bringing your uh, you know, entertainment lawyer, legal background into merging it with your conscious yes. living lifestyle approach. Yes. And I love yes. that. But first to start this, how did the, the Start the Conversation video come about with the Kelly Clarkson guys? Yeah, um, it was really just a surprise opportunity. Um, you know, no one was expecting to, that this would be the topic we're all talking about just two, three weeks ago, right? Mm -hmm. And three months before that, no one thought we'd be talking about quarantines and pandemics, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. What's next? Like, obviously, Divine Mother is preparing us for some very deep and powerful work, yeah. some evolutionary work, and sort of clearing away the debris in our psyches, in our minds, in our cultures, in our hearts, to prepare us for what is truly the beginning of the golden age as we move away from the dark ages on this planet. So the beauty of sort of trusting divine timing, that you're always exactly where you need to be at exactly the time you need to be there. And there's no telling how long I'll be at Kelly Clarkson, but the opportunity came literally out of nowhere. I've been producing my own show, Conscious Living, now on Amazon Prime, for 15 years. And then out of the blue, this is after walking away from corporate America, working as an entertainment attorney in here in Hollywood at Paramount and other studios, suddenly, no, we want you back. Like, and two weeks later, I was launching, I to watch the show. So it was kind of, you know, it took me several months to just incorporate and integrate the fact that, oh my God, I'm doing this again, right? Why, Lord? Why? Why? Why now? And this past week, <clears throat> Two weeks ago when the executive producers, one of whom happens to be black, asked me after this whole George Floyd sort of tipping point, flashpoint, if, if you will, if in order to heal, we need to start with our own families and starting with the show family to have a conversation. And if I'd be willing to share my story, any thoughts? 
kind of in a confessional sort of format. And at first I was thinking, well, I would just take myself. But then I thought, well, geez, I've been married to my husband. It'll be, I don't know, 17, 18 years we've been together, celebrating our 16th wedding anniversary in October. Jai Guru. <laughs> um, and he's white. And I say that in quotes because I'm not black and he's not white. You know, I'm actually more of a chocolatey brown, right? He's more of a sort of creamy, you know, peachy cream, right? <laughs> but my, my white husband, the conversations he and I have been having together since we got together, where he first said to me, I'm not racist. What are you talking about? Why are black people so angry? And we had to really battle in words, nothing physical, to move through the fact that by simply being in America, being born in America, being born in the world, a world that's based on the colonialism, on slavery, and on systemic injustice, where we take the fruits of labor of one set of people so that another can benefit. Of course, when you add race to that sort of dynamic, yeah. of course you're going to be a racist. Of course I'm a racist. Of course you're a racist. And that was the first difficult conversation for him to accept. So we're like, oh no, my racist, my best friends are black and that whole thing. It's like, you have to look within. Yeah. It's a state of consciousness in the heart. Yeah. And how could anyone in the world not be living and growing up in a world that is based on colonialism, imperialism, and slavery, particularly yeah. here in America, but anywhere in the world. Yeah. So that was the first step. And then I told him, watch Roots with me. And we watched Roots together. And it was at that moment when we cried together that he could actually experience for himself the story of what it feels like to be ripped from your native land as a free person with your family, dragged into slave ships to endure the two month or so middle passage sailing to America, herded like cattle in the bottom of a freight ship and then forced onto the auction blocks as your family and your wives and your loved ones are slaved away and you're treated literally like a piece of property. Yeah. And then the evils of slavery and the abuse and the decimation of body of culture, of name, mm -hmm. of sense of spirit, of a sense of just personal dignity for 400 years. When you get to see those stories played out in a really real way, it's much harder to say, oh, I'm not racist, and I don't understand why black people are so angry. So it was those conversations that Michael and I had my business partner and my, my husband mm -hmm. for so many years that really allowed me to begin to heal my own racial pain body and his as well. And so in the video for the Kelly Clarkson show, I had to bring him into that conversation. And in that, he shared how much he had benefited unknowingly from white privilege. You know, the privilege of not seeing color, the privilege of being colorblind. It's a privilege to say, I don't see color. We all see color. You know, now's the time to begin to confront that, to acknowledge it, and to talk about it. And that's really what Start the Conversation is about. And then the video ended up being very well received and going viral. And it just opened up, I think, the door to see a black woman and a white man 
together working through these issues in a very real way, giving permission to others, perhaps, to start talking about it too. And do you mind sharing the one particular story from your childhood that's in there, that's in the video that they chose to highlight? Yes. Well, you know, the privilege of being colorblind is something that I never really understood or benefited from. At the age of three years old, my best playmate, sandbox playmate, who happened to be a beautiful little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl, um, invited me to her birthday party, which is my first ever. So I was thrilled. Of course, I accepted immediately. Um, and it was at her home. My parents received the invitation in the mail. I think I brought it home. And then they sent it off like everyone does, you RSVP. And at some point, I don't know how, they discovered that I was Black. So she came to school the next day after receiving the RSVP and said to me, I'm so sorry, you can't come to my birthday party after all, because my daddy doesn't want any niggers in his pool. And I'd never heard that word before. I knew, I didn't understand what it meant, but I knew that it wasn't good. Immediately I felt excluded, ashamed, and that there must be something fundamentally wrong with me. If my good friend, dad, didn't want me to be there because I was a nigger, what was it? Went home, shared it with my parents. They couldn't really explain it to me. But shortly thereafter, they joined the PTA at my school <laughs> and continued to until I graduated. But it was a very rude awakening. And in fact, it wasn't until I watched Roots for the first time several years later that it began to begin to unpack what that would have meant. So. Excellent, thank so, you so you know, much. There's no colorblind possibility for me. I know, <laughs> I know. It's, and, it's, and no one can understand what that feels like that's not a person of color. Yeah. I know. So coming back to, you mentioned white privilege and I was thinking about this today. What I would love for you to talk more about what it means, your definition as, a, as an African-American because it has, I think it holds a much deeper significant meaning than it does for a, a light skinned person. Because often we, you know, we never have to think about the color of band-aids that are available at a store. And that often is where the, well, the white privilege, I think sort of stops for a lot of people. They don't really think beyond that. You know, I know for myself, there were times where I, where I didn't Think be, you know anything about it. I didn't even understand what it really meant. And you have so graciously pulled me up a bunch of times recently on it. And I, and I was so grateful for, for, to you for highlighting that because it really, it's a smack in the face and you've got to be aware. So I'd love for you to just share and talk more about um, really what white privilege means. What, it, what is it? Yeah, well, um, you know, as a black person speaking to that, there's something about that that feels a little inauthentic. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk about it just in the context of sort of the privilege that I didn't have to not see race from the age of three. It's about the privilege I didn't have to hang out on the beach in Malibu with my husband and think it's a perfectly fine day. I'm the only brown person on the whole beach. The police come to check, you know, for contraband, drugs, alcohol, whatever. There's hundreds of people on the beach. The only sort of uh, picnic basket or whatever that they checked on the entire beach 
was mine. And I was like in the middle of the beach, right? They just assumed I'm black. I was with my white husband. I, of course, would be the one with weed. I, of course, you know, I'm like, I'm sober. There's nothing there. But the racial targeting. Did they check anyone else's canteens? Nope. Right? So it's the privilege of not having to be assaulted. The privilege of not having to be racially targeted. The privilege of not having to be sort of selected out because of your skin color and discriminated against. And how could you possibly know that, right? Unless you've experienced it. So it's the privilege of being able to move through the world without, at least with respect to skin color, mm-hmm. not saying because you're white, you have no problems, right, but right. to be able to move the world without sort of that shadow, mm-hmm. the shadow of whatever ne- negative perceptions another person's going to have about you that you don't know, the shadow of 400 years of a pain body, yeah. of slavery and colonialism that's never been addressed. You know, it brings up a lot to people, but I'd love to hear you speak to as a white person, right? White, <laughs> privilege, what white privilege means to you. What are you well, learning? Well, what I learned most recently is that um, I never had to think about anything. I really never had to think about stepping into a restaurant, being denied a place, being, um, you know, told different things because of the way I look. Um, I never had to think about purchasing, whether it was products or just having people look at me in a different way. So a lot of those things, and even in our conversations recently that we've had, when I've asked you some questions and talked about things recently, just the ignorance, you know, around certain topics. And so those were a lot of things that I, I've been really thinking about, you know, when I want to educate my own children or talk to my, my friends who aren't quite sure what that means. Those are the things that came up for me. And they're, they're, they're difficult because as I shared with you a few weeks ago, when I, when I first sat in this place and realized, my God, I, I was struggling with everything I was seeing. I told you this, all the imagery, um, the protests, and I kept wondering why, why do I feel this way? What is this discomfort in myself? Then I sat with it in meditation and asked myself a really hard question. Am I racist? Right? And, and the answer came up, yes. And as I shared with you, I was so shocked, right? I couldn't believe that that was what came up. And I had to go deeper and deeper and explore different aspects of myself, um, different attitudes that I've been carrying. And, uh, and it was amazing. And then you so graciously made it, suggested that I watch Roots, which was incredible. I mean, and so many other things, read this, read that, you know, you've got to look, watch these, all these things. White fragility. Uh... Absolutely. Yeah. And well, at the end, we're going to post it on Facebook or references for people so that they can find, go and, and use these amazing resources. Many people are currently um, promoting books to read and share with their younger children about racism. How do you start that conversation with younger children? But it's, it is so important to be having it with yourself, with your adult friends and your teenage children, your older children who are ready and able to digest more serious matters, because these are the things we have to, we've got to deal with if we're going to move forward, you know. And I know that some of the things you had shared me, I asked you yesterday, what was it like, you know, living in Asia? as a black person, what was it like? What's it like just walking down the street with your white husband? I mean, these are really, I, as a, as a light skinned person will never know how that feels. 
So if you can talk about these, your experience with both Michael and the street down in New York City and the time you spent living in Bali. Well, I went there for a spiritual sabbatical. We go to wonderful places, Vortexes, Sedona, Bali, every seven years to recharge, refresh, you know, regroup. And so <laughs> we were in Bali and I took for granted um, that it was such a spiritual place mm -hmm. and that living amongst sort of the indigenous native brown people mm -hmm. that it would be seamless. Um, what I discovered very quickly was that the pain body in Bali on race is very strong in Asia. The effects of colonialism, first of all, the educate, I mean, it's a third world country, number one. So they're not educated. They don't even know how they got to be where they are. And some, you know, they don't realize that the impact of the Dutch colonialism yeah, on their culture, mm -hmm. on their colorism, on sort of their perspective of who they are in the overall food chain of humanity has been shaped and what they think of themselves even has mm. been shaped by the powerful, wealthy hand of colonialism. And so having me there, an African-American person with dark skin and kinky, you know, Afro hair, they've never seen before. It brought up a lot. And then walking down the street hand in hand with my white husband, you know, in Indonesia, it's illegal to marry someone of a different religion, mm. right? to this day. Wow. So race mixing and class mixing is like an appalling joke, yeah? Uh, unless you're white, yeah. it's your privilege because you're the ones coming and bringing money. So we tolerate you, right? Mm -hmm. For me, what I experienced very quickly was similar to what my parents must have experienced growing up in the 30s and 40s in the Jim Crow South pointing, jeering, laughing, name calling to my face. Yeah. And I'd never experienced, I'd experienced the microaggressions. I've experienced the sort of, you know, when I got into Princeton, everyone thought that, oh, it's because you're black. Even though I was top of the class and had the best grades, right? Everything good is, oh, it's because you're black, right? Um, but sort of the presumption of, if I'm walking down the street with this white man, clearly something must be wrong. Yeah. And I felt it mostly from women, Indonesian women, because they're at the bottom of the socioeconomic pecking mm -hmm. order there. They're the most disempowered. And how angry must they be? I mean, you think Black Lives Matter was an uprising. Wait until women's lives matter becomes an uprising. Watch out, world. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to be ready for that one. And the divine feminine rises up to mm -hmm. take her rightful place. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, there will be a tsunami. Yeah. Coming. Uh, I agree with that. Yet because mm -hmm. we're too busy enjoying the privileges that white patriarchy has given the white woman particularly. Right? I think about the movie in Roots. It was the women that stood by while their husbands raped black women, their slaves. Yeah. They did nothing. Because they were disempowered and they didn't want to give up the benefits and the privileges of living in the big house and having the husband and having all the trappings of success that they were privileged to have. 
So they turn their eye again and again and again. And that continues to be most of the people that voted for Trump. I don't want to make this political. You know, a lot of them were women. So for me, seeing that hate firsthand, it, sh it shaped me in a way that I, it affected me in a way I didn't think first. Just having to experience a taste of what my, my parents had to experience growing up in the Jim Crow South, drinking out of white. Well, no, not being able to drink out of white water fountains, drinking out of black water fountains, using only black only bathrooms, sitting in the black only section of the movie theaters, which was way high up in the rafters, having to sit in the back of the bus. The stories I heard of my mom driving whenever they took road trips, they could never stop. They always had to pack their little fried chicken picnics with them because if they stopped, they could get lynched. You know, having to go to the bathroom on the side of the road because the gas stations were all white and it was segregated and whites only. So the privilege of being able to walk through the world unbothered and molested to use the bathroom you want to use, to not have to be pointed out as somehow getting some benefit just because your skin color, mm -hmm. while at the same time being pointed out as sort of a negative because of your skin color. It's always about the skin color one way or the other. The privilege of just being able to exist in the world free and clear as yourself yeah. and not being judged on something so surface and so irrelevant, right? So that to me was an opportunity to, to be the change I wanted to see. At first I was hurt and angry. And then I had to really look and say, okay, these women are so disempowered. They're not allowed to own land. The women do all the work. The men sit around, right? It's a patriarchic society. It's a patriarchy, which by the way, is what kicked off colonialism and mm -hmm. slavery. Mm -hmm. It was white men making the decisions. It was men deciding on behalf of all society what the world would be. And I don't think that women are victims of that, but I think that disempowerment, if you already feel so beat down, right? And then you see someone else that you may perceive as lower than you, it's your one chance, be it negatively, to, to sort of feel better about yourself. Oh, look at her, she's so dark, oh. Oh, what are you, African? No, I'm not African. I'm African-American, what? Where are you from, America? Well, I can see he's from America, he's white, talking to my husband. Yeah. But you, you're, uh, you're from Africa, right? Okay, uh, no, right? Have you heard of Barack Obama, Michael Jackson, Beyonce, Michael Jordan? African-American. And that's why the use of the word black for many African-Americans has historically been so troubling. It's become more popular now because of that sort of negative connotation. I remember my mom saying to me, Growing up in the Jim Crow South, being black was a pejorative term. Oh, that black girl, that black, right? So sort of reclaiming that is a big piece of this journey. And for me, as a yogi, I had to take a look inside my own heart and say, okay, well, where's the hate? Where's the jeering? You know, how many lifetimes was I the slave owner and the, you know, entitled white woman allowing the slaves to be beaten, right? Mm. So I get to experience what that feels like. On the other side in the, in the context of my soul evolution you know nothing is a fluke and the challenge the opportunity for me for you for all of us at this time is to look within and to be the change and so what i decided to do in bali instead of being angry and lashing out and being hurt and michael was very angry you know he felt so disempowered not able to protect me from 
sort of a humiliation. Yeah. I started mirroring them. So I'd walk down the street and the jeering would start. Instead of being, oh, holding my head low, oh, why did you say that to me? I started mirroring back and I would just be like, <laughs> and I kept doing that over and over. And in the moment that they could see themselves, it was like they froze. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that, right? Yeah. It, it created a human connection where they could no longer just be like, hey, look at this. <laughs> it was like, I was like, oh, <laughs> and they're just like, Disgusted in it, themselves. So I kind of played the fool in order to create a mirror for them to see themselves. And from there, was able to actually create, in some instances, more of an exchange and a connection. Yeah. They wanted to feel my skin. Okay, you feel my skin, I feel your skin. You're an exotic foreign object just as much as I am. It's not just me. Mm -hmm. We're here as exotic objects to each other. Let's get curious yeah. with compassion and a sense of brotherly love as opposed to you're different, ha ha. So yeah. ignorant, right? Yeah. So I really felt and saw myself as a bit of a spiritual ambassador while I was there. It was very healing. It was very painful and then it became very healing. And I feel like that is the work that I have to do and that we all have to do on the planet right now is to be the change we want to see. Absolutely. Condemnation never works. Yeah. And that was almost a year you lived there, right? And this was almost yes. every single day that you endured this. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And that's just one of many examples. I won't go into all of the microaggressions and yeah. you know, all the things that you haven't had to experience because of your white privilege. Yeah. I haven't had the privilege of not having to deal with those. And despite all those things happening, I think the gift has been for me just the internal growth to, you know, they say iron sharpens iron, you know, what makes a diamond a diamond? you know, as opposed to a lump of coal. Yeah. Just the pressure, the mm -hmm. intense pressure for years and years and years and years. I feel like that is what has shaped me into, you know, being able to be an illuminated person that seeks to illuminate others in, in, in service to mankind. Because, I mean, you think about Oprah Winfrey and all these people who, Michelle Obama, they've been through so much, yeah. but they're able to shine as bright lights because they've been through so much and were able to dig deep and find something deep within that didn't come from what the outside world told them that they could be yeah. and told them that they were. Yeah. Something beyond that. I think that's a transcendental, very spiritual practice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm and grateful. I'm grateful for my karma. Well, it's that's great. what comes back to, I wanted to ask you about your spiritual practice. Um, what was it about yoga? And, and when did you have this um, experience where you were drawn because you're also you're a devotee of Paramahansa Yogananda, who is right behind you on the wall, for people who may not be familiar with him. And so I'd love you to talk about that because this is the second part of this conversation is, is about empowering people and using our spiritual practice to go deeper, right? to do this work so we can support not just ourselves, but our friends and our family. Yeah. Well, I mean, my spiritual practice is the foundation of everything I am. And everything I'm not is the function of not being disciplined enough on my spiritual practice. <laughs> so, you know. We can all relate to that who has a spiritual practice. Yeah. <laughs> I know the assignment I've been given. Mm. No question about that now. And, you know, it is an eternal journey, but I feel very loved and very clear and very guided um, that this is, this is the path that will free me. And um, it's not an easy path. 
but it is a simple one. <laughs> so um, it was really marrying my husband. We were not devotees. We'd explored many different religions. We'd studied Kabbalah and Scientology and, you know, spent much time in the agape community here in LA, Science of Mind. And they're all beautiful in their own ways. A lot of benefits to all of them. But it wasn't until we got married, we decided that we wanted to for sure have a spiritual marriage. That was very important. Very different from every other relationship either one of us had had. Yeah, like, which is very like fleshly. It was all about how good can I feel and how great is the sex and, mm -hmm. you know, how flattered can I be and all of the sort of material trappings that eventually made the relationships fail. <laughs> so when we met, we decided we're gonna actually make a different choice and maybe hold off for a little bit and get to know each other and, you know, maybe begin to prioritize spirituality as something we can do, get, do together. So it was really with Michael that I first started meditating, just five minutes a day. Um, first started practicing yoga and just was shocked at how good it made me feel and how free you know, despite the racism and all of the challenges, being a black woman in America, I felt it gave me a place of refuge, a place of inner peace, and a path that I could, in the words of Gandhi, be the change yeah. that I wanted to see in the world. And so we decided to get married at the Lake Shrine in Pacific Palisades, which is one of the temples of Paramahansa Yogananda, mm -hmm. self fellowship. We did not know. I'd never, I think I'd went to one service at the Hollywood Temple, but I was like, this is cool, but I hadn't really, you know, gone back again. Mm -hmm. And when we went to the temple for the first time, it was like, wow, this is so beautiful. There's this wonderful lake, man-made lake with swans and yeah. like a little piece of heaven. You're yeah. like, this yeah, it's said, beautiful. Yeah. And there's a temple to each religion, each major religion along a pathway that you can walk and meditate to Krishna, to Hinduism, Judaism, Buddhism, Christianity. There's a beautiful little Virgin Mary sort of worship area. I mean, all religions, the path of all religions is really what self-realization was called before they simplified the name. So when we were there, we said, this is so beautiful. I feel so good. If I ever got married, this is where we want to get married. A year later, we decided, well, let's get married here. And we found out, because, you know, there's a venue fee, you know, like any uh, location, that if we just signed up to be lesson students, that we could get like a 20% discount <laughs> off of the wedding. Very economical producers. <laughs> Sign up for the lessons or what, 50 bucks? That's a deal? Sweet. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty there. <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. want it to be spiritual, but like... What brings you to the path? Like, yeah, magnetic destiny. It was like mm -hmm. master used exactly what yeah. he had to use yeah. to get you there. Yeah, yeah. I, like, <laughs> I would not on my own have done that. So I got the lessons because they they still you can go online and get the lessons and they teach you. I felt like every question that I had ever had and several more got answered. But I collected the lessons. You give them every two weeks on how to meditate how to live in peace with others, how to be successful in business, every aspect of life, right? Mm -hmm. Living your spiritual life day in and day out. Meditation is the foundation. Mm -hmm. And I kept them in a folder for two years and did not read a single one. Wow. 
it wasn't until two years later into our marriage, challenging moment, I don't really know what it was, that I opened them. And at that point, that was it. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I sat on this for two years. Well, you were finally ready. That and, that, and I was ready. Yeah. And that's how we got on the path. And we, you know, we're initiating Decrea six months later. And, you know, so many years later, it's, this is our, our path. And it's yeah. been the source of what gets us through. Yeah. When we recognize nothing is a mistake. Mm -hmm. Everything we've experienced is a simple effect of the law of cause and effect. And if we go to the cause inside of our own souls, maybe not this lifetime, maybe a previous lifetime, maybe the one before that, right? We can see and connect to those parts of our belief system, of our consciousness, of our privilege, of our inner hate, of our selfishness, of our egoism that manifest, right? The world that we live in today. And through that path of introspection, the Eightfold Path of Yoga, yeah. introspection, <laughs> meditation, and devotion and surrender, interiorization, not just doing the perfect headstand. Right. It's the third step, the asana. Let's yep. keep going, guys. That's right. <laughs> Don't get stuck in your back then, right? Mm -hmm. your oh, yeah, that's not what matters. For your interiorization so that you can have the inner divine communion. Mm -hmm. So that, for me, has been the key to everything. And once I embraced that path, my life opened up. The show was launched. Emmys were won. My marriage prospered. I was able to heal from so many painful experiences and maybe share a little bit of that healing with others. So and, it's and that's amazing and so beautiful because <laughs> that, that is really the magic of what happens when we start, to, when we start on the spiritual path. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are also afraid of that that phrase the spiritual path because i think it means yes. you have to follow worship jesus christ or yes. go to a church a catholic church but it doesn't mean that at all and even in the self-realization fellowship they recognize everyone they're not their whole you know i'm not a devotee of, of yogananda myself but i've spent many time many a lot of time with them i know them well i filmed with them and did a whole you know a series around yoga and there was a whole episode around Kriya yoga, mm, um, mm. as taught, as introduced to the West by Yogananda. Mm, mm -hmm. But I loved that they are all inclusive in this practice of yoga. And that's what it's about. So you can go deeper. You can still, and it'll deepen whatever your religion is. If you're Hindu, if you're Jewish, if you're Catholic, the practice of the Kriya yoga really helps you deepen everything, every other aspect of yourself. And, and to burn off the karma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're in a way. Yeah. I love that you just said it allowed you to go and, and create this other path of your life. So you were a an entertainment lawyer up until that point, very corporate environment. Yes. And then you developed this personal relationship with yourself, with your higher self, and yep. it opened you up to so much. When was that moment where you went, oh, Oh my God. And started having receiving those downloads. Okay, this is what I'm gonna do now. This is what this is my calling. Yeah, you could do so much. There's so many amazing things, and so many amazing things have happened to you. I mean, you know, we we I gave top notes in in the introduction to you, but you've had a really wonderful life. Yes, I have. I've been very blessed. I mean, I've had many challenges, like anyone, but I think I've used the challenges as a fulcrum, you know, with the power of introspection, 
and the acceptance in humility and divine surrender to the divine, to know that everything that she's brought me was so that I could come closer to her. Yeah. And, you know, from that perspective, everything has its time and its season. Mm. And at the time, the season of me working in corporate America came to an end because I had to go and find myself and, and you know, find my wings and fly. And I did that for 15 years. And that wasn't necessarily an easier life per se, easier in some ways, harder in others, but it really gave me, I'd say the opportunity to look within and to discover some of the hidden gems beyond sort of the attorney and sort of the outer success that could only be discovered inside. But I needed the time and the space to do that and sort of letting go of the security and the safety of a set paycheck coming every two weeks or every week yeah. to sort of discover the abundance within that's everywhere. And that was the 15 year journey. And it's so funny, it's like a full circle coming back to LA. And shortly after coming back to LA, it's like this job just appeared out of nowhere and it's been wonderful. And I know that there's bigger things that I'm here to do. So, yeah, you know, great. I'll enjoy the time while I'm there, but I know that uh, there, there will be a next step as well. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. Thank you. And as, as I continue to produce Conscious Living. So it's kind of like, I never really left, but. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, let's talk about that for a minute. So Conscious Living TV is the series that you host and produce, co-produce with your husband, Michael. Yes, that's and, right. and it's on Amazon, but it's, it's on other platforms too. What, talk about Conscious Living, because you're, what does that mean to you? Because you are embodying it 100%. <laughs> I don't know about 100, but. <laughs> well, we try, right? Like you've merged, you've taken things, but you, you know what I mean. Yes, I know. Thank you. There's always more work to do on the, on the path. Um, well, for me, Conscious Living, shortly after we got married, we went to Bali for the first time for a honeymoon, and it was there that the idea of conscious living was born. They eventually wrote down on a, on a napkin, literally, I know everyone says that, but really it was a napkin <laughs> on a plane ride from Bali back home. And we just got so tired of complaining about the negative news cycle. If it bleeds, it leads, right? The merchants of chaos, mm -hmm. they feed on our fear. And it's underwritten by the pharmaceutical companies that give us the antidepressants we need, you know, to ease our anxiety that is caused by watching the programs that are about fear and hate. So it's this cycle of Maya yeah. delusion. And I just got tired of complaining about it. And so we decided to be the change. Let's start a TV show, a platform, a program that's about positive news. It's about all the things that I felt I didn't learn. I was educated, very educated, formally, as an attorney in Ivy League and all these things. But I knew nothing about the world. I knew nothing about how to take care of myself. I knew nothing about how to be with others. And I certainly wasn't finding more about that on television. Mm -hmm. So we decided let's launch a show that maybe can inspire people through our journey and through the journey of other, you know, sort of pioneers and everyday folks doing their best. Maybe we can inspire people with something that's a little different from what they'd normally watch on mainstream TV. And that's where Conscious Living was born. After we finally, you know, the reluctant healer, you resist your calling. Oh, why me? And I don't know if I'm good enough. And 
oh, I need more help. I need more money. I need, it's like, no, you have what you need. So it wasn't until, was it a few years later, we went on another spiritual sabbatical to Sedona, Arizona. And it was there that the, the seed level that was planted in Bali came to life for the first time. We produced the very first episode of Conscious Living in Sedona, Arizona. Mm. In the spiritual sabbatical, where we weren't going to work, right? It's always where it happens, right? Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, it's been quite a, a journey of love. Just telling stories about how to heal yourself from the inside out, you know, how to live a life of a spiritual person off the mat. But it's more than that too. It's not just about yoga and the spiritual practice. Yes. It's also you're highlighting people doing conscious good in the world with yes. your companies, with clothing, clothing, fashion, growing food, so yeah. many other aspects of conscious living. Being vegan, yes. Yeah, I wanted yes. to talk to you about, um, you know, raising our consciousness, but also when we carry our pain body, you know, we've, we've had a lot of discussion in the last week or so about different aspects. And as you know, I shared with you what, what was coming up for me. Um, but I think when there's two points that I think are really important when people, when we talk about how we can use our spiritual practice and it's understanding that we have this, a soul that carries through lifetimes, but there's also this aspect of DNA that carries through lineage, family, ancestral lineage. So when we're talking about healing, there's almost two aspects of ourselves. We have to investigate to understand where, where this pain, what, where we're carrying the pain in our bodies. So my question to you is, in terms of raising our consciousness, where do you think people should begin? What's the best? What's your advice for people on this, on this topic? Well, I feel it's a good question. Um, first, just being willing to ask the question of yourself, right? Where could I begin right, as a starting point? Because it's going to be different for everyone. And our work with Conscious Living, you know, we're not here to tell anybody else how to live, that they have to wear eco-fashion, that they have to drive a Tesla, right? that they have to go vegan, that they have to meditate and stay in green hotels. Yeah. You know, we're not telling anybody that they have to. We're merely offering these as possible first steps on the continuum to being more mindful. And that's gonna look different for everybody. So, but for me personally, I feel that we can't change the world of racism, of the evils of capitalism, right, of patriarchy, right, and all the discriminations of the evils of fast fashion, tons and tons and tons of clothing being dumped in landfills, you know, single use, right, because we're not shopping mindfully and ethically, not to mention the poor, mostly brown female hands working in sweatshops, Mm -hmm. sewing these clothes so that we can buy a t-shirt for $2, right, that we eventually throw away. And then we pollute the planet with the dyes yeah. and the poor cotton farmers in India are committing suicide, right? Because we're not subsidizing a healthy way of working with the land. There's so many evils that can be stopped by just being willing to say, let me be more mindful. Of what is the impact? Not just on me, the selfish, egoistic, what works for me? Listen to me, hear me. But How can I, in the words of St. Francis, seek not to, right, be understood, but seek to understand. Seek not to be consoled, but seek to console. Mm -hmm. Seek not to be forgiven, but to forgive. And to me, none of that is possible without a spiritual practice. 
So I feel that it all begins and ends with a spiritual practice of some kind, whatever you call it, whether it's God, traditional religion, you know, Hinduism, Judaism, Zen Buddhism, whatever, doesn't matter what label you put on it. But until you have come into right relationship with yourself and the higher power, the divine mother, the universe, God, you will always be out of alignment here on this earth. So how do you walk in alignment? You have to surrender yourself, your will, your ego, your thoughts, your mind, your desires, your senses, and rein them in and then offer them up through the channel of cosmic consciousness, through the channel of liberation, through the channel of whatever brings you peace and stillness and a sense of right being and not being right, but that inner, it's all right. Yeah. Here. Compassion. That is spiritual practice. Mm. And so without that, I think all these other things we're trying to accomplish, Black Lives Matter, all of that, you can't fight violence with violence. Yeah. It has to start in the, in, in the inner heart. And that to me is a spiritual walk. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really tough for a lot of people. I know I, I said to you yesterday, well, I should clarify that statement. It's tough for a lot of people to understand where to begin. And when I see some of my friends on Instagram posting, holding up posters they've made, hashtag Black Lives Matter, I, I haven't asked them, but I just look at that and I wonder to myself, okay, that's great you're posting that picture of yourself, but what else are you doing about that? Are you having, are you really starting the conversation? So I'd love to ask you to recommend, make your same recommends that you recommended to me because they were so helpful. You first have to start with curiosity, you know, a willingness to learn, to have, as we say on the spiritual path, the beginner's mind, Yeah. right? Mm -hmm. The humility to recognize that maybe you don't know everything about this and that maybe you've got a few things to learn about this. And then as our children do, be willing to go to school. And, and sit and read things that maybe you wouldn't have read on your own, you know, starting with the book, White Fragility. Yeah. Read it, listen, understand the blocks that are there that psychologically, socially have given you a sense of entitlement to remain colorblind and above the issue that's feeding the problem. One of the things that I suggest is do some research on history understand the history, the actual history of colonialism that's not taught in schools and not taught in the textbooks. Colonialism and imperialism. Mm -hmm. You know, it was that energy that really began this vicious slave trade. And then the distinctions, the very fake artificial distinctions of black and white and race, not just to be able to distinguish the tone of skin that someone had, but in order to distinguish who had the right to read, who had the right to own property, who had the right to travel and go and come as they please? And who had the right to be a free person, right? These were things that came from colonialism and slavery, which was an outgrowth of colonialism because you needed bodies to do the work and all the territories that you conquered, like Christopher Columbus. Yep. Learn your history. Oh, Learn. yeah. We haven't even mentioned what's been done to the Native Americans oh, yeah. around the world, right? You just totally. come and colonialism says, I need more. I want more. Mm -hmm. This capitalistic urge yeah. that more is better. So now I don't have enough here. I've got to go sail the seas and go over here, mm -hmm. come to the land. Oh, they're brown. Good. I wanted to take everything they had anyway. Now I have a reason. Oh, they're 
racially inferior. They're intellectually inferior. They're savages. Yeah. So now I'm entitled to do whatever I want to them. I can mm-hmm. rape, I can pillage, I can take their land. I can genocide. None of that has ever been paid back. No. You know, America, the White House itself was built by slaves. Yeah. Unpaid slave labor, the building that we now see. I mean, so it's like, not to mention the numerous lucrative institutions, the entire insurance industry, right? I mean, these were all built by free slave labor. These old American and international businesses were all built because they had the money to work slaves for free, right? To build the large plantations, to mill the cotton, to mill the tobacco. Philip Morris, you know, all these huge companies. Yeah. It's like, where do you think that came from? From colonialism. Yeah. Because somebody wanted to make money. So learn the history of your nation. Do some research. It's all right there. So yeah. that's the first, you got to be curious first. You got to find out what actually happened. But you got to step out of your privilege to be willing to be curious to do that and humble yourself and recognize you don't know everything. You may yeah. have a few things to learn. That's oh, the for, first sure. Thing. for sure. And then thirdly, I'd say, as I said <laughs> to my husband, and where I first understood the context of the N-word was watching Roots. There's two versions. There's a 1977, and then there's the new one that's on Hulu, which is a bit of a different take on the same story. And there are many other stories now on Netflix, on Amazon Prime. They have a whole Black Lives Matter channel now. Yes. So there's tons of things that you can watch. Dear White People is a good one. It really, I think, exemplifies what my experience was going to an all-white school, college, as a person of color in modern times. I think it was actually based on a story at the Princeton campus, which is funny. Wow. <laughs> Art imitates life. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, under, you know, take advantage of the rich sources of media that are actually quite entertaining. While you're streaming, you're at home, you're in the pandemic, stream some stories that you might not normally gravitate to yeah. about different cultures. There's tons of great documentaries out there. You know, I'm not a Negro. James Baldwin's story narrated by Samuel Jackson is beautiful. Um, there's, just so, there's just so many great stories. You just have to be willing to be curious and find out. And they will inform you. And then sit with it, right? And be open to what bubbles up from there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Is there anything else you'd like to share or, or highlight or bring up now? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm just grateful for, for you and for this opportunity to just share. And I think being willing to do the courageous work of just being open and listening and listening to ourselves and listening to others and holding the pain, our own pain, yes? You know, because the denial wants to push that down. Mm-hmm. If you hold your own pain, then you maybe you can open up to someone else's. So this is deep, courageous spiritual work. Um, so I'm just grateful for this moment in history, this moment in time, as painful and challenging as it is, in the middle of a pandemic, right? In the middle of quarantine, to really like embrace this opportunity for 2020 vision, to really see ourselves clearly in a way that perhaps we couldn't before. You know, this is this is the the work of the lion-hearted spiritual warriors mm. that we're looking for, that the world needs on the planet right now. And it's not a coincidence 
that we are all here, that we're born into this time to see the first black president and first lady in the White House. That was our lifetime, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my great-grandparents were slaves, right? And Obama was in the White House just, you know, a little while ago. I mean, just the fact that it happened once, right? It's like, you know, would have been unfathomable, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. For my great-grandparents. Yeah. Um, so this is a time of great awakening as we move away from the dark ages and begin to turn on the path towards the light, you know, move forward with courage and with grace and with humility and knowing that we are so protected, we're so loved, we're so supported. We have to do our work, but the universe will do the rest, but we have to do our part. So that's what this moment is. If we choose to step into it, we can not only heal our own pain, our ancestors' pain. Maybe we can heal the planet too, because the pandemic, the silver lining of the pandemic was less global warming, right? We could see mm -hmm. the skies turning blue and the waters turning clear just yeah. because we weren't out there taking and raping and using and pillaging the earth. Mm -hmm. So the same is true of human beings. If we could just take a step back and step into the selflessness, which is very much a spiritual quality, to see how we can be of service to the world, as opposed to asking what the world can do for me. We can turn this around, you know, and that, that's, that's the heavy lifting. But it looks like there's a, a little crack in the darkness and the light is starting to get in, so I'm hopeful. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, thank you so much. Oh, I'm hopeful too. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today and sharing your stories and educating people. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for giving me your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you for holding the space. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you. Namaste. Namaste.